What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back with a long-awaited guest. Uh, Mr. Ben Pakulski has finally made it onto the show. Ben is somebody that uh, I've been following for the last two or three years. I met him uh, in similar friend circles at Paleo FX, as I have many of the guests on the show. Um, just an amazing human being, uh, elite-level bodybuilder uh, who has followed a very similar trajectory to myself in, uh, you know, even with his podcast, you know, really on the uh, cutting edge of optimization and fitness and muscular development and, of course, transitioning much more into the greater landscape of the inner world, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Just a fantastic guest. Uh, I know you guys are going to dig this one. There's a number of ways you guys can support this podcast. Click subscribe. Don't miss an episode. Leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life and support our sponsors. If you had bad gas lately, I know this may be an uncomfortable topic. The only reason I bring it up is because bad gas is a sign you have undigested food fermenting in your gut. No bueno. This is occasionally a problem for all of us. Just ask my wife and uh, there's no doubt about it. And that's why I want to tell you about P3OM probiotics. Uh, P3OM is a patented probiotic that eats up excess sugar, eliminates bad bacteria fast, and protects your gut from inflammation and viruses. So you have less gas and a stronger immune system. P3OM also improves digestion, speeds up metabolism, and increases energy throughout the day. What makes P3OM so different from other probiotics is that it can survive the gastrointestinal tract and it goes through your whole body to support both your gut and your entire immune response. It is a secret weapon for reducing and eliminating bad gas and upgrading your immunity and protection against bad bacteria. Here's some more great news. You can get 10% off P3OM right now by going to buyoptimizers.com slash Kingsboo and entering the code coupon Kingsboo10. And if you order it and it's not everything you hope for, the support team will give you all of your money back, no questions asked. Just visit buyoptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash Kingsboo. K-I-N-G-S-B-U to get 10% off with coupon code Kingsboo10. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. We are also brought to you again by my dudes, Amp Human. Amp Human is a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes at all levels unlock their limitless potential. Their latest innovation is called D-Plus Lotion, and it's the first-of-its-kind gel-based lotion that delivers vitamin D directly through your skin. With limited sunlight during winter and more time indoors, there has never been a more important time to supplement with vitamin D. Just two pumps applied to the inner forearms contains 5,000 IUs of vitamin D3 to boost your immunity, improve sleep quality, and support brain function. Backed by two clinical trials, it is proven to triple your vitamin D levels within three to four months of daily use. It's time to say goodbye to pills and say hello to D-plus lotion. It's the easiest way to get your vitamin D. Visit amphuman.com slash Kyle and use code Kyle15 to get 15% off D-plus lotion today. That's A-M-P-H-U-M-A-N.com slash K-Y-L-E and use code Kyle15 to get 15% off your D-plus lotion today. I've been using this for the past six weeks, and I'm getting ready to do blood work again with my boys at Ways to Well, uh, who I'm also going to have on the podcast here soon. So be prepared to see some dramatic increases. I can't wait. I had um, actually pretty fucking <laughs> painfully low uh, vitamin D levels, uh, somewhere in the 30s, like 37. 
And we want to see that get up to at least 60 to 70. So here we go. We will get to have a, a proper look at that and see what's next. We're also brought to you today by PowerDot. Uh, PowerDot can help improve muscle recovery, supplement strength training, and effectively warm up the muscles to improve post-activation performance, helping you ensure you're getting the most out of your athletic performance. can also help with natural pain relief by blocking pain signals and promoting the release of endorphins, as well as injury rehab by improving blood circulation and nutrients to improve recovery and activate muscles in a non-load-bearing environment to fight muscle atrophy. That means you're not going to get one tiny weak leg when you have a broken bone on it versus the other one you can help preserve uh, with the anti-catabolic effects and really assist in that recovery. It's a lot faster than you would if you're just laying around with a broken leg. Lots of cool stuff here. Uh, it's got smart recovery AI, which integrates with Strava and Apple Health to track your workouts and provide customized recovery programs based on your activities and guides you through each program from start to finish. There's in-app education with a news feed so you can learn from professionals and explore content that will help you become a better athlete, a forum to connect with other PowerDot users and learn how they are getting the most out of their devices. And of course, there are many athletes from UFC fighters, glory kickboxing, cycling, NFL, MLB, PGA, CrossFit, and much more using this device, including myself. My suggested product is the Pro Bundle. It's going to come with a duo and three extra set of pads so you can stimulate two areas at once and spend less time recovering. Everybody knows that uh, I talk about this quite a bit, having kids, but even if you aren't a parent, you really want to get the most bang for your buck time-wise in any activity that you're doing. So if you get the duo and the three extra pads in the pro bundle, that's going to save you 25 bucks and additional 20% off with code KKP at checkout. You also get a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you don't see results in the first 30 days, send it back for a full refund. PowerDot is giving 20% off to all listeners with code KKP. Do your body a favor. Go to PowerDot.com slash KKP and experience personalized muscle stimulation. We are also brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. DryFarmWines.com slash Kyle is where you're going to see my little URL for these guys. Uh, Rob Wolf, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, Chris Kresser, a whole host. Dave Asprey, Drew Manning, Dr. Mark Hyman, Mark Sisson, my boy. Uh, all these people have been supporting this amazing wine from day one. Uh, these guys make extraordinary natural wines that are 100% organically grown, biodynamically farmed, lab tested for purity. They all have a lower alcohol content, meaning that 12.5% per volume in any given bottle is going to be the highest. They are keto and paleo friendly and sugar free, 0 to 0 0.15 grams per glass. Some of these bottles have a one gram, a gram of carbohydrate per the entire bottle. So if you are, whether you're keto or not, um, and you really don't want to drink wines that are going to leave you feeling like shit the next day. With Dry Farm, you're getting only the best. They're not adding dyes. They're not adding sulfites. They're not adding anything that's going to slow you down. I don't drink often, but when I do, it's only Dry Farm wines. And what they're doing for you guys right now is if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle, you will be able to get a subscription with an extra penny bottle. You just click it right at the top. Click to collect your penny bottle. Sign up for a subscription. They can deliver six bottles once every two months. They can deliver 12 bottles twice a month, whatever you want, white, red, however you want it split. And when you like a bottle, which I frequently like some bottles, I let them know and they send me out a whole bunch of them in the next shipment. So really fantastic product backed by fantastic people. Check it out, dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle. And last but not least, we have just launched the Fit for Service Academy app. 
So many of the people that I have worked with and Aubrey have worked with within Fit for Service have absolutely loved it. And in the wake of that experience, there's been a lot of people left on the outside that have wanted in. They want extra content. They want to dive deep. They want the Zoom calls. They want the uh, one to two hour Q&As. They want all the stuff that we are doing and we are doing it now via our Fit for Service Academy app. It's available over at iTunes on Apple Store, Apple's App Store. Is that right? That's how that works. Apple's App Store as well as uh, over in the, the other one, Android App Stores and online. So you can get it on your computer or your smartphone. Apple and Android App Stores, Fit for Service Academy. Just search for that one. And there's transformational practices of the fellowship groups on Dharma, shadow work, biohacking, poetry, and much more. And best of all, this is a community of amazing people who are called to be fit for service. And it's a private platform. This is a big one. So you won't be bombarded with ads or clickbait news. Say goodbye to fake filters and sales and step into your authentic self for your first month. It is free. After that, I think it's around 18 bucks a month. But um, test it out. You, you are under no obligation to stay. Get in there. See the content. Uh, Myself, Eric Godsey, Caitlin Aubrey, we've laid out a ton of content in there already that will be there live for you guys at any moment in time. Um, pretty much the easiest stuff, the, the low-hanging fruit, the things that are easiest in my wheelhouse have all been laid out there. So everything on physical, mental, emotional is included in that. Uh, tips on diet, movement, you know it. It's all going to be there in video form, direct and easy for you guys to see and access right from your phones. Check it out. Fit for Service Academy app is live. And without further ado, my man, Ben Pekulski. Ben Pekulski, welcome to the show, brother. I'm super grateful we finally get to sit down and do it, brother. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it's been, yeah. it's been a minute. I yeah. think we met like two years ago at Paleo FX or yep. something like that. Yeah. And running into each other there, but always running around like chickens with their head cut off. Seems that way, right? And yeah. I've been learning to, I'm learning right now actually to to do that less, to schedule myself less and be able to just be present more often. That's what, that's, that's, yeah, perfect mirroring. I've, I've, uh, that's how I started the year and I'm hoping to just sustain that. Like uh, one of the things I realized having two kids and I know you're a dad, so I want to get, pick your brain on this, but um when we have weekends fully present, you know, Greenfield, our buddy taught me that like yeah. the second his kids are home from school, you're a hundred percent invested. There's yeah. no text messages. There's no emails. You're there with them. And I've, I've done a good job embodying that, but there's no real time. Like if our son's five and just a ball of energy. And so there's no real time for my wife and I outside of that on the weekends and when he's there. So I'm just taking Mondays off while he's in school. Yeah. And that gives us time, you know, just full day to, to hang, to do yoga, to connect, to be intimate Great. And, to, and to play with the, the little girl. So it's been, it's been that one move, just one day a week creates so much more space throughout the week. And connection, man. It's, it's so many, so common when you hear parents, you know, new parents, the relationship just starts to fade away, right? Because they don't make time. Like I'm busy, I'm tired, I have shit to do, I have to make money and, and they don't make time for the relationship and it fades. And, and uh, it happened to me actually, and I don't talk about it a lot, but um, you know, it, it was very much a reality. The sex life goes out the window and then, you know, your, your eyes start to wander a little bit and like, you know, it never was promiscuous in any way, but you just start to wonder like, you know, is this ever going to work again? And, you know, for me, unfortunately it didn't. Um, and I'd never, never shared that before publicly, but, um, yeah, it was, it's definitely, I think that played a role, right. Is not having any experience, not really having anyone to mentor me and go like, Hey man, you need to carve time. You need to make sure you invest in that relationship or it's going to go away. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a hard one. There's no real, I mean, I think a, a community is such a, an important piece of things that we miss now. Obviously, when we dive into plant medicines and things like that, we learn about these rituals and rites of passage and how there was an honoring of boyhood to manhood and, and how community held that all together. You know, and even outside of the rites of passages and the ceremony aspects, there still was, you know, elders in place and aunties and uncles. And, it, and it, there was a village to help raise the kids yep. and honor parents to still be able to go work in the fields and do whatever they needed to do to feel like they had themselves and then connect with their kids. And that's, yeah, and I, think, tough. I think we're trying to build that, right? It seems like, you know, modern culture has kind of moved away from that because you just move into these beautiful suburbs where you probably don't know your neighbors at all. And there's probably no one that you have anything in common with. And you don't really talk to anybody. It's usually like a wave as you drive past. But, you know, if you're, if you're conscious of it, you start creating these communities of curated friends and, and people that you have you know, parallel values with. And, and we're doing it. You know, we're, we, I think we both run in very similar circles. And uh, hopefully it works out such that your kids, my kids end up can play, they, we can play together and we can have, you know, people who we, we trust and rely on that aren't just our, our biological family, but they know if they go anywhere in the world, they've got this family, right? And, and we're building one, like I told you, people where I came from today, it's like I'm building one here in Austin and I trust those people in my life. They're, they'll be lifelong friends and I hope my kids can interact and integrate into their life and, and vice versa, right? And that's, that's a beautiful thing that I never had. And it, I didn't even realize it was like a, an objective, right? It's just, no, this is, I just, kind of meandered through life as the lone soldier and uh to now have people that actually love you and care about you on a deep level is, is a blessing and it is a lot of it in part um the connection through plant medicines yeah. yeah yeah i mean what a bonding experience for sure let's backtrack a little bit and talk about growing up because uh you know i, I always start there there is a i guess a structure to the podcast typically is just a, that I love getting to hear like how people grew up, what drove them, you know, what, what drove you to become a bodybuilder. And obviously yeah. I think there's some parallels between us in, in with what I did with fighting as the impetus to want to learn and grow and what you've done in bodybuilding to want to learn and grow. That's mm -hmm. paralleled in many ways because I'm not like a lot of fighters and you're right. not like a lot of bodybuilders. Right. So let's dive into that. That pain and fear for me, right? So um, both of my parents were for the most part, absent in my childhood. I was raised by my grandparents and um, I had a lot of fear. My dad had maybe the most explosive temper of anyone I've ever um, ever met or seen. And so my response, rather than uh, you know being afraid or crying, I was certainly afraid, I would just stand there and shake. So I had internalized all this fear and I didn't want to express my, my sadness or my fear outwardly. So I just stood there and shook. And so then that carried through from the time I was three all the way up until, or maybe before three, all the way up until I was about 19. Anytime I'd encounter an adult, I would become nervous. I had this association, like anyone who's a quote unquote authority figure, I just would stand in front of them and shake. So it was hard for me to speak. And so I had, you know, attached this, this uh, character that I, I had a, a speech impediment. So I was like, oh, you know, I have this, this thing. And I, and I didn't, I just didn't realize it was just fear that I didn't, associate with my dad just having this really explosive temper. Um, so bodybuilding was a way for me to overcome fear and particularly of my dad. Like I remember the day when I stood in front of him, wasn't afraid he was going to kick my ass. And that was bodybuilding, man. Like I was like, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to fucking hurt you if you, come, if you come at me. And that was something that came through bodybuilding. Bodybuilding for me was uh, instant. It was an instant love that, um, well, very much close to instant, I would say. Um, as soon as I did it, I was training twice a day, every day. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't the intention of being a bodybuilder in the beginning, but it was like, I'm getting faster and stronger and bigger. And I love this. And I was hooked. 
Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, it was this desire to become Mr. Olympia. Um, but yeah, that was probably the root of it all. It's just, I, I was an incredibly fearful kid. And I think it probably came from a lot of things, um, but I wouldn't ever outwardly express my fear. Like I said, I always built this armor, even when I was a kid of like, I'm, I'm strong. And, you know, I was just, just sad and, and, and afraid. Yeah. So uh, that's what, that's, I think what was the precipice for body for me, man. And, and I discovered it and I was like, there was nothing else I want to do. I had scholarship for baseball. I was like, I stopped everything. I you know, put on this huge amount of muscle in a short amount of time because I went from being a long distance runner to uh, who was a vegetarian to being a bodybuilder who ate meat six times a day. In, in the span of three months, I put on like 50, 40, 40 pounds or 45 pounds. Damn. Yeah, yeah that's, it, a, that's, a, that's like a, a slingshot effect where you're just pulling yourself back, exactly. back, 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 and then slingshot. Well, and I would run every morning and you'll get this probably. Like I would wake up every morning in Canada, so it's freezing. I'd wake up every morning between 4.30 and 5.00. And just run until I puked and then come home and get ready for school and then uh, go to school. And that was my brain. I was like, that's how I, I was my outlet of, of like pain. So I literally run. And you know, if you grew up in the colon or you grew up, but like the burning lungs or if you can feel the blood in your lungs and you're spitting it up and you're just like, yep, I want that every day. Who knows where that came from? Uh, but that was my outlet for, for pain. And then I turned that into that in bodybuilding, right? I would, I would go as hard or as, as deep as I could. And uh, looking back at it, man, I'm so grateful for the experiences my dad gave me and gave me a gear that uh, most humans don't know, right? It's like, I can go to that dark place and most people just aren't willing to go there. They don't even know they have it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. And again, I'm sure that's why we're kindred souls, man. It's like some people you just know when you walk into a room, like that guy's got that gear and I respect you for it, right? And, and you know, I always say to people, when you walk into a room, you spot the alpha male, you walk over and shake his hand and, and you know, you, I honor you. And um I think that I've been doing that intuitively since I was a kid um, or maybe, you know, call it 19 or something. Um, but and that's, that's kind of my, where this all came from for me. And you're, you're still involved in the sport. Like talk about, talk about the bridge from, you know, wanting obviously the impetus to change the avatar to show like, Hey, you can't fuck with me anymore. Like I'm, I'm good now. Yeah. And, and setting that in place into um, really what fueled your knowledge to learn more about, everything, you know, I mean, your podcast has changed in the last couple of years. You've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Talk about that. I was really it- bad at bodybuilding. So keep in mind when I was a kid, I didn't say this, but I, I had, um, you know, what people told me was a learning disability. So I was told I was dyslexic and had a learning disability, had a speech impediment and I was fat. Um, and that was because I, I ate like shit. Um, really like I, my, I had no restrictions on my eating at all. I could eat whatever the hell I wanted. Um, you know, and, and with that, the huge amount of stress I had from these dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional parenting caused sympathetic arousal. I was constantly in a sympathetic state, eating like shit. So what do you think your ability to learn is going to be, right? So they, they, they put you into this box and say you have a learning disability. Um, so when I started training, I mean, I wasn't in bad shape at, at 16 when I started training because I had been doing all the running and I'd put a lot of sports, but I, I didn't think I was a good bodybuilder. I didn't think I had the potential to build muscle like some of these other guys I see. You know, you're looking at these, these top bodybuilders. I'm like, man, they're, they're genetically blessed. They don't have that. Um, so I, I took it upon myself. So I, I'm the type of person who um, I don't like taking no for an answer. And uh, so I was like, okay, whatever it's going to take, I'm going to do that. And so I just started on this journey of, of uh, learning. I you know, studied in school. I, I read everything I could um, because I not taking no for an answer. I said, well, whatever's standing in my way, I will find the solution, the best solution. And I was looking for mentors. I was looking for people within bodybuilding to go, oh, who knows training and nutrition and supplementation and, and all of it the best. There wasn't one. There was this disjointed, like this guy's really good at training maybe. And this guy's really good at nutrition. This guy's good at this thing. And so 
and started kind of compiling this uh, community of people who could, you know, meet, lead me and mentor me. And I'm so blessed for the people that I've encountered along the way, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, man. I've, I've these people, I literally say they're my angels that came into my life that probably saved me from, you know, if I would have not succeeded in bodybuilding, who knows, right? Everyone in my family is an alcoholic or a drug addict or something. So who knows what that would have looked like. But um, yeah, I, I was very blessed to learn. And then, you know, come 2012, I'd stepped on the Mr. Olympia stage for the first time, uh, thinking that this was going to be like the greatest day of my life. And it certainly was. Like I certainly celebrated my accomplishments, but I realized it wasn't uh, fulfilling to me, right? It's like making money. Like I want to make a million bucks and I'll be happy. Not true, right? So I stepped on stage at Olympia and realized like it, it was empty. I felt alone and I didn't feel like I was fulfilled and I wasn't happy. Again, I was grateful for the accomplishment and who I'd become in the process, but I realized it wasn't for me. And so within 18 months, um, in 2012 through 2000, like June, 2013, I had, my son was born January 4th, 2012. I did the Arnold that year. I did the Olympia. My daughter was born, uh, January, or sorry, uh, July, 2013. So within this 18 month span, I went from being a guy who was only interested in myself being the best bodybuilder in the world. I was completely, there's nothing else. No one else mattered. I was very selfish and, and I was very open about that. And, um, and I went from in 18 months doing that to, um, just completely flipping it. I was like, this isn't for me. You know, my, my children opened my heart. So I think I, I never experienced love in my life. I didn't know what it was. So I was the lone wolf and, uh, and it just, they just blew my heart open and I didn't, I didn't know it was possible. Um, so all those things kind of accumulated in me realizing there's more to life than just being a meathead. And uh, I started pursuing the internal journey, right? It's, it, you call it the two mountains, right? You ascend the first one, like money or any external goods, external material goods. And you realize, well, that's not, that's not right, man. Like you get, you got it. Great. That's awesome. Not fulfilling. Okay. Now the next mountain is this internal mountain, this internal journey of, I want to, I want to explore who I am. What, what, who am I? Am I a soul? And, and uh, how do I connect with myself and people who are on the same journey as me? That's kind of where I end up now. Yeah, that, yeah. That second mountain is a lot harder than the first. Right. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it though, because it never ends, right? Like I, I don't ever expect it to achieve it. Uh, I think there's, there may be no end result, but it's this beautiful opportunity and you get it, man. You're a process guy too. Like I'm not about the end result now. I'm like, how, how deep can I go into this process and how much can I master this process? And that's physical and mental and spiritual and all of it. Right. And that, that's it. It's just the journey, man. Yeah. That flowering uh, has been, every time I think that there will be an end point to it, I am the, the plants or the, the chemicals remind me that no, no, this goes on for infinity. Yeah. It's infinite knowing, infinite know thyself for eternity. Yeah. And I'm still new to the plant stuff. Like I didn't really ever touch anything until 2017, I think. Um, so I'm still really new and I haven't done anything consistently or often. And uh, I think just now in my life, I'm getting to the point, as, as you said, you hear in my podcast, it's like it's shifting into realizing the power of these things. Cause I grew up very much against it. Like most people did. I, I wasn't, I didn't smoke weed. I didn't do anything drug based. Um, I just thought it was bad. Like drugs are bad. Drugs kill your brain. And I was like, I don't want to do that stuff. And so until I was 35, I, I just didn't touch it. Um, so now I'm very interested in, and, you know, leading, learning from people like yourself who have some experiences and I'm like, I trust your judgment on things. And I'm like, yeah, man, like if I, if I ever want to do something significant, I'm like, you're the first guy I'm going to call, right? <laughs> or, or one of certainly. So I hope to explore those things at a deeper level because every time I do, it just goes deeper and deeper. And you're just like the, the innate knowing and the innate lessons that are built in is uh, just so beautiful. And I, I, and I don't, I don't suggest this to a lot of people. Right? I don't even talk about it on my podcast because I know that 
and you'll get this as a pro fighter, that at some point in your early um, in your early career, you had someone who you looked up to. Like when you were 16, 17, 18, starting and fighting, or however old you were, there was some like pro who you looked up to and like you probably said and, and did everything they did, right? Like this guy, I want to be like that guy. And I know there's people out there who, who think that about me. So if I go on my podcast and start talking about, hey man, I just did this ayahuasca, I did this LSD, and I did this ketamine, I don't want that 17 year old kid to go, oh, I should do that too. Like, I don't, I just don't know that it's right. I just don't know that everyone, it's not right for everyone at that time. And I think it's, it's immoral of me to, to talk about it without like quantifying that and qualifying yeah, that. And yeah, say, there is, there is for sure. And it goes beyond a disclaimer, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's hard to encapsulate what the entire container looks like. Yeah. You know, I, I just did a, a talk with Dr. Dan Stickler and Cole Witte and um, Brian Marusku, who wrote The Immortality Key. Yeah, yeah. Have you on, read that? Yeah, yeah. Great book. I'm actually reading it right now. Phenomenal, dude. Right now. It's so good. It's it's one of my favorites. Um, but, you know, of course, I heard Brian on Rogan's and immediately got the book on Audible. Um, but we did this talk on Clubhouse, which is like my first time interacting on what appears to be like a live stream podcasting yeah. version of social media. Yeah. You know, and it really went really well. There was great questions. But that was a lot of the question that came up. And even just riffing off the top of my head to give an answer while there's still other speakers in the in the wake, you know, and Cole's doing a great job of managing who's going to field which questions. And, you know, Dan went first and he hit it from the medical side. And I tried to hit it from like the, all right, if you don't have access to Dr. Dan Stickler, if you're not a part of a study with MAPS and you do get a hold of some stuff to do by yourself, these are some key pieces. Still, you know, an entire book could be written on container yeah. and it would still leave out the container because it's always personal, right? Like my, 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 the beauty of my journeys going the way that they did was not only how I entered into it, but was my outlook throughout it and afterwards, right? The hardest shit we were talking about the heart and I'm going to do a solo podcast on this soon, really talking about the hardest experience of my life that lasted two and a half weeks. Um, if I don't have a, a sharp sword, through all of my integration and life practices. Yeah. And a good, strong community of people yeah, that you know, exactly. accept you and A really yeah. strong community to be able to call Paul Check like he's on fucking mm -hmm. speed dial to get my yeah. ass out of jail not here. Not everyone has know? that, man. Yeah, yeah, not everyone has that. So like, it, that's an important thing to to talk about as well because, you know, and when that happened, you know, I'm 38 years old. I have 10 years plus of working with these medicines and then I get hit with the kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. You know, thankfully, I think that there is, these medicines are a form of highly intelligent consciousness. They mm -hmm. are their own awareness. And um, I think that you get what you need, but but there are outliers. There are people who get more than they can handle per se yeah. when they don't have the right care, you know, and not everyone, as Cole mentioned, you know, <laughs> there's not everybody you go to in the Amazon has your best interest in mind. Right. You know, there's charlatans all over the fucking world. So um, lots of stuff to be mindful of with that. But one thing that's really cool too in waiting is is um you know Michael Pollan uh who who wrote oh god what did he write you know remember the name of his book um I know the book uh <laughs> this is great I forget I'll remember dinged in the head once or twice um <laughs> yeah he uh how to change your mind yeah in yeah. how to change your mind he he talked about how much gratitude he had for waiting until he was 65 yeah and at first I scoffed at that I was like no, fuck that, man. This is, I've, I've gained so much in the last 13, 14 years from this. But for me, it came at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. And for him, it came at the perfect time. And yes, if I put myself in his shoes and I had 65 years of regular life before ex being exposed, right. 
that would be the that would be an avalanche of information. I'd be like, wow, I'd have to write a book about it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Like, you know, like that. So I get yeah. it. Um, but there's plenty of time to wait, you know, and, and I know we've got younger people listening to the show, even though I curse like a sailor. Um, 28 years old is when the brain finishes developing. Right. You know, we like, all know someone who is, is is in that space in the psychedelic realm and they're broken, right? They're, they're not grounded. They're not able to make ends meet in life. Oftentimes they're struggling and maybe that's their journey and that's their choice. But you know, I just think people should always be conscious enough to make that decision themselves. And, and I don't know that at 17 or 19 or even 25, I would have been able to do that. Right. So yeah. I always, like I say, come with that disclaimer of uh, before you uh, dive into those things, just consider all the stuff, you know, listening to your podcast yeah. is probably a good place to start. Yeah. There's a, uh... Oh, man, where was I going to go with this? I'm drawing a blank again. Um, yeah, I've, I was fortunate when I was younger, having like the blip post-college with mushrooms in Sedona and just being in nature. I mean, no no correct intention. We were right. doing cocaine the night before and pounding right. beers. Woke up, threw my mushrooms into an omelet and got everyone there. <laughs> and I'm like, they're mushroom. It's a mushroom omelet right. you know, made in a Coleman. No respect, no, no, right. no reverence, no intention setting. Right. And thankfully the land held us. And that was one of the first like breakthrough experiences I've had. But, um, you know, the bulk of my entry into medicine was, was being under the guidance of a medicine man, my boxing coach, who... There's Guapo Man sounding off Uncle Christian's here. Um, the bulk of my experiences were initially with a guy who was my coach and loved me dearly and had decades of working with medicine, right. you know, and was a Mayan elder, you know, like that's a whole different ballgame yeah. to be, to be, you know, grandfathered in that way than most people get. So plenty there. Oh, I do, I do know what I wanted to say. Um, there is one of the best fucking videos I've ever seen on the cautionary tale of plant medicines and ecstatic experience. So MDMA, the, um, you know, the, the chasing of the festival life, right? He dives into all this stuff and it's really important. The video came out about a year ago. I'm going to, I'm going to have Jose link to it in the show notes. It's a YouTube video. Um, it's phenomenal. He, Jamie's just hanging out at an airport, getting ready to go snowboard in Boulder. And he's like, oh, by the way, I want to let you guys know all these things about, you know, the pitfalls of plant medicines and peak experiences. And, and he just dives into all of it. And it's so perfect now because, you know, a lot, lot of people have, um, you know, myself included, ket prescription ketamine, nasal spray, mm -hmm. things like that, you know. And, and that's probably better than street ketamine considering that's uh, fentanyl's going into it now, shit like that. Three people died last year of ketamine. You can't really overdose on it. It's one of the safest chemicals, but if it's cut with something else, you can overdose. If you are combining different techniques like breath locks and things like that, and you don't have a spotter. I mean, people have died doing Wim Hof training if they don't have a spotter and they're doing a breath hold underwater. Right. And he's been the first since day one. He said, don't do that. Always mm -hmm. have a spotter if you try a breath hold underwater and don't do a breath hold underwater right. unless you're a free diver. You know, like this isn't for the masses. Right. Um, but all that to say, like there, there's the disclaimer. I will link to that. It is, it is a phenomenal video, even for the most experienced person. Like I was looking at that and just really uh, reflecting on, you know, what is my pace? How often do I want to go back to the wishing well? And even though I have steps to integrate, am I giving it enough space to fully integrate? And one of the things that we get caught up in, not you because you're just getting into it, but 
down the road is the question mark that we all have of, okay, if this experience answers all my questions and then some, do I wait to then have that experience again to answer all my questions and then some? Or do I figure out a way to build that bridge through my intuition and my inner knowing, what Jung called the daemon? And I tied a long podcast with, with uh, Eric Godsey on this, talking about the daemon and the higher self, the soul, whatever you want to call that. But when you build the bridge to that inner knowing, that happens while you're on the shitter. It happens while you're walking the dogs. You know, it happens when you're playing with your kids. It doesn't happen the next time you go to the Amazon. Right. Right. And I don't want to wait like I used to three to six months to get those, that information. And I don't have to. So I think that's an important piece for people to, to lean on is like, look, yeah, when you take important life decisions to the medicine, that's, that's the perfect time to go. Um, so yeah, all that to say disclaimers, that kind of good stuff. But, but I think that there's an important piece on frequency there that Jamie dives into, you know, like, uh, you can bring the kitchen sink. You can be going through a divorce. You can have just lost a loved one to death. And that can be some of the most beautiful and challenging times to get into those experiences. And then also knowing that it is our responsibility to be able to sit with the funk, you know, to not lean on things as the only way out because eventually they become that and eventually they stop working for us. So that's a question that I have for you, actually. And I, I think I... You know, struggle with this a little bit is at what point is it an escape versus a, a, a tool you know and, and i think just personally i always you know maybe go back and forth in my mind of how often should i do it and you know am i using this to grow or am i actually just using this because i want a, an experience or like what is it and i literally still am, am playing with that it's like this paradigm of of you know not wanting to do it too much because i want to have the integration so when i do it i make sure like i, I do it right? Like my dosages are significant. Um, so I get the, I get the, the bliss, I get the pain, I get the, all, all of the, the buckle, buckle up. I'm no longer in control dose. Yeah. 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 Which varies for everyone, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's the move. Um, when you're going to do it, you do it right. And the people are like, Oh, I'm just going to do it and go hang out. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Like I'm not into that. I want to go and actually benefit from this. And, and I expect discomfort and I expect challenges, but I also expect lessons then I, you know, I'll journal and reintegrate that into my life. So I'll, I'll pick your brain on that a little bit. It's like, how do you know? Like, how do you know how often you do it? That's one good thing to, to, to look is to review from the last one. You know, if you, it, especially when you take notes on whatever those messages were, you know, like, like um, a prime example was we were doing ayahuasca for about once a month for six months. And towards the end of the last three sessions, it kept telling me do meditation and, and yoga. And on the it. third time, I'm like, why the fuck do you keep telling me the same thing? And the answer was, because you haven't started it yet, yeah. right? You don't get to graduate. You don't get new information until you actually implement the things I'm asking you to. Mm -hmm. And so Iowa was a very you know, stern teacher in that. Um, but you don't need the medicine itself. Like I could have done that better simply by reviewing what those messages were in my notes and then seeing if I actually spent the time integrating that and doing that. And, and how did that change my life? You know, to, to self-reflect upon the changes that I make because some of it's good and some of it maybe needs to be reworked, you know? But, but the, with that, if it's actually, if I'm bringing it to 3D reality where I can put one foot in front of the other and actually integrate the things, the lessons that I'm getting, then I can look back and say like, cool, let's change my life X, Y, Z, or maybe just in one simple way. Yeah. And, and with enough time, there's that calling, like a, like a hunger, you know, um, you don't need to just because access has made things so different too. You know, like 
if we were in a tribal setting, elders would determine when we go. Mm. You know, if we had a mentorship under somebody who was a curandero, they would determine when we go. And, and it's not just a, you know, oh, I got my hand raised. I'm ready. I want more. It's like, settle down, little guy. You got to wait a little while. Right. Let's see some X, Y, and Z happen. Exactly. You know, those kind of things. So yeah. without that and with, you know, the potentials for your own pharmacopoeia at, at easy access, um, we can get into that. That's why Jamie Wheel talked about the hedonic calendar yeah. in uh, Stealing Fire. But for me too, I'm, I'm more... I like, I want to be called to it. I just don't want to do it because it's on the calendar. Like, hey, it's been six months. It's time to go now and do this. So I never got into the hedonic calendar with exception to a microdosing schedule I did for a couple of months after Jim Fadiman's book, Mm -hmm. uh, Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Um, Outside of that, it really is like, I want to feel hungry for it. And I don't want to go to the buffet and get stuffed. You know, I want to I want to feel that appetite build, the calling build, have many reasons to go, not one. One thing that I've noticed, and you'll notice this too, in, in circles, are that there there will be a group of a percentage of people who look like they're in the same space they were last time. You know, they're still going through the same stuff, yep. and quite often you'll hear an intention that's almost verbatim what it was last time, or it's something very plain like, oh, you know, I'm just I just you know I'm, I'm curious, or uh, I really just want to see what it has to offer me today, or you know, look at non-specifics, great, but ha- have it be specific enough for your life that it gives you a focal point. You know, I, Tate Fletcher joked because he with me, he was like, and we were saying intentions in a circle once for mushrooms, and he's like, he said his intention. He goes, you know, none of this shit actually matters. It's just going to show me whatever the fuck it wants to show me, and I, we all burst out laughing. And I was like, true. However, there's a compass point yeah. if I have that intention where you know, you're blasted off into the sea and you're seeing all these great things and learning these things. And then it's like, oh, wait, I also was here for this. There is this one core issue or these three core issues that I really want to look at. And with that, those things start to unfold and flower. And that's the real reason you sign up in the first place. Yeah. You know, If there's no real reason to sign up in the first place other than to go to the movies and watch something cool, right. That's not maybe the best intention. Yeah, totally, man. Um, one thing I'll say about you is the growth that I've seen witnessing you from afar and then obviously being here with you now is, is tremendous. And that's, that's, I think there's something to be garnered from that, to watch people who you can actually watch. And same with Aubrey, right? I don't know Aubrey well, but his transformation's been, you know, you could see it and you could hear it in the way he speaks and his authenticity has completely shifted. And I think these are the people that I'm like, oh, this is why you guys are doing what you do and why you're leaders. And I think it's cool. And um so modeling what you're doing is um, is interesting because you're right. There's so many people, in, including people that that uh, qualify themselves as spiritual, uh, and just like well, you're, you're just like off in space somewhere. There's no actual progress in any area of your life. So uh, thank you for what you do. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 bridge again back just a little ways between uh, where you're at now and and um, you know these giants that you learned from. You know the giants that you learned from yeah. from the physical to the mental, emotional, and spiritual, and, and, and just, you know, the, how those seeds planted new seeds and really just where, you know, these giants helped you to unfold, you know, this transitionary period from solely focused on the physical and the body and, and looking into different avenues. One of the conversations that I'm thinking of was, that just blew me away, was when we were chatting about our kids. And, and I think you had asked about jujitsu and you asked if Bear was in Muay Thai. And I was like, no, not yet. I know I want to teach him striking and there's an importance to that. But I think, Jiu-Jitsu is better because of the flow. And then you said, well, Muay Thai is awesome because it's systematic. It's mathematical. Mm -hmm. They're learning patterns. They're learning how to repeat those patterns. And I was like, fuck, dude, that's brilliant. I never thought of it that Mm -hmm. way. And that, you know. 
and, and the cross-body <laughs> patterning is also integrative in the brain, right? You're seeing mm-hmm. the left and right hemisphere. So my son is very much into hockey, and his his coach makes him do these really complex drills where you have to remember like 14 different consecutive pieces of this, this drill, and just like, like I couldn't remember it. And his brain just like boom, boom, boom. Same thing in, in Muay Thai. You get it, like you, you know, it's like combo one, boom, and then like combo seven, like whatever, whatever you're calling out, and he just just knocking them out. Um, it's pretty awesome to watch their little brains just get fired up. My daughter's doing it now too. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm very much, the things that we do, so I think because you and I have both achieved relative success in uh, our endeavors, I don't know about you, but I have no attachment to if he becomes a, a, a pro athlete. or 100%. Or like, I just want to be happy. And because I accomplished that, you know, I, I think it was, um, I don't know, I've heard Paul Check say this for the first time, but I don't know if he's quoted Rumi or someone, maybe it was Mark Twain. You know, children are tasked with the unfulfilled dreams of their parents, some some paraphrase of that quote. Um, but so many people fail at their dreams, and now they're going to try to impart that on their kids. But because, you know, I made it to what I was trying to do, uh, I have I realize it's just bullshit. It's all it's all just superficial bullshit. Like, I, the only thing that you, I push my children to is is progress and setting and accomplishing goals. And, and so for me, the curation from behind the scenes is... I just want your brain to be like a, a weapon. Like, and so how do we do that? So what's the physical curation? Like it's, it's playing an instrument, it's uh, reading, it's learning, it's developing a love for learning, it's physical mastery. So like my kids are doing gymnastics, um, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, my daughter does um, theater and dance and my son does hockey. And, and like, so these are things that they've chosen, but I think it's also some of my influence to curate their, the brain development. Cause I don't give a shit if it becomes a professional hockey player, but I see the, the opportunity in developing a complex skill that they can later stack on. And that they're both physical uh, specimens at their young age. And I'm like, this is, I, I wish somebody had been mm-hmm. so conscious of this to curate this for me. Yeah. That's such a big one. I, I think about that. And then same, same, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Cause uh, I remember having bear hang on those rings when we were living in my mom's garage and, um, we posted a video and he was holding it for like 30 seconds and my hands are right there and he's just smiling yeah, the whole time, right. you know, and I'm like, he's not even fucking two yet, you know. It's intuitive. Yeah, yep. he's, he's got it. And like, you know, if you think about, you know, whatever link was jumped genetically, it's, we still have DNA to hang on things, yep. you know, so that's yep. there. And, uh, but it was funny because I got a lot of people, a lot of shit, like some kind of Marinovich project was going on. And I'm like, I don't, he could be a concert pianist. He could totally. do whatever the fuck he wants to do. He can yeah. love whoever he wants to love. He can bring a boyfriend home. Like none of that shit matters to me. Right. But I do want him um, to have the skills, to have the, 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 whatever he's into, to, to get the backing behind it, the support behind it, and the ways that I know how to support outside of myself. Cause he doesn't, I don't know about your kids, but my little guy does not like learning from us much. So it's, <laughs> my daughter will listen to anything I say. My son go if I say, "Hey, son, you should go left." He's going right. Yeah, yeah, that's not, we have yet to see with our daughter, but for, certainly with him, it's like, okay, we need other coaches on hand, but yeah. but we got those, you know. And that's it's such an important piece. But the brain training piece was like, man, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. I remember. Um, one of the neuroscientist buddies that I had on the podcast was talking about this. I can't remember which might have been Huberman, but he was talking about, um, I don't think it was Huberman. Uh, this study that came out that showed, you know, if you, if you played a brain training game like Lumosity, it made you really good at brain training games. Right. It wasn't a global effect. Right. Right. But music and learning a second language yep. had a global effect. It actually increased intelligence in all areas. 
So when you think about that, it's like, well, time's finite. We only have so much of the pie chart. Mm -hmm. We know our kids need extracurriculars that go beyond homework and fucking screens. Um, What what way do we encourage them to go? Well, music for sure should be in there, right? A second language for sure should be in there. And then these other things that train and integrate the body, you know, cross body movement, things like that. Like that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, again, that's, that's it. Check all the boxes, right? And they'll find what they love if they have the skills to do it. Cause like what's more discouraging than you try to do something and you suck at it. So if you can develop complex movement capability as a kid, you can do anything, right? So if they decide when they're 12 and 13 that they wanted to pick off some new sport, they already have the physical competency to be able to quickly adapt. Whereas, you know, I spent a lot of years training athletes and you can see their athletic history in the way that they move. I'm like, I can tell exactly what you did based on what you're competent at and what you're not. Like some people obviously have uh, more adaptive nervous systems where they had genetic advantages or, or dietary advantages or athletic advantages, but you can see it. So I figure the more diverse skills I can expose them to as a child, it just, it just equips them that much better for what they're going to do as an adult. And that's it. That's all it is. It's opening more doors. That's all. That's what I see. It's like, I don't give a shit if they play the piano or, or the violin or whatever, man. I, like, it's just going to get your brain thinking in that way where you're like, hey, one, I, I have this complex um, capability, but now I also know that I can accomplish something. I know that I can start a goal and finish a goal. And that's pretty cool. And um that's it. You're building confidence. And, you know, with respect to how we make time for it. So what I've done, and again, everyone chooses their own path, but uh, homeschooling. So we, we can accomplish in two and a half to three hours what they were doing in seven. And now you just opened up four hours for them to play outside and jump on the trampoline and play with their friends. And so, I mean, that's just been great for us because, I mean, when you're in school from, you know, they were in school from 740 until two o'clock every day. You're done school and you got like one hockey practice and the day's done and there's not other time. So now they get to sleep in, they get to go, we go for a morning walk, do some breath work, and then they're going to do some homeschooling. We actually found a really cool homeschool collective this year, which is amazing. Um, but it's still only three hours and then we have all the rest of the day to, to connect, to play and to, to, to really do whatever the hell else you want. I think that's one of the opportunities that COVID has provided is like maybe more people are, exper- are experimenting with or exploring the um, feasibility of homeschooling. It's so much, I mean, it's certainly challenging, but it's so much more realistic now that parents are mostly working at home anyways. Yeah. So try, right? If you if you have the desire and the patience, ultimately, like I, I have a belief that I'm a good teacher because I just, I just put myself in their shoes. Like I'm not trying to impart my beliefs on them. It's like, well, I'm going to meet you where you are and we're, we're going to walk on the slowest incremental path to where, you're, to where you want to go. I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, I'm not a parent, I'm a facilitator. You tell me what you want to do and I facilitate it. You say you want to do something, I open the door. You, you say you want to learn something, I find the book or I find like, that's it. I'm a facilitator. I'm not a parent. Parent, what does parent mean? Like I'm going to impart a bunch of bullshit on you and give you a bunch of rules. Forget it. Let's just create some type of facilitation for the things you, your soul wants to do so that I put as little of my bullshit on you as I possibly can. Yeah, that's huge. I, I think of the, you know, the exposure of some of the cracks that we have in our system from finance to education to food, healthcare, all of these things that, that of course, I've talked about on the podcast and, and had many guests on. But education is a big one, you know, and with like-minded individuals in a community, we then have that ability to do homeschool co-ops. You know, yep. Bear's a part of that. He's in school without a mask. It's not even school technically. He's in his home thing, you yep. know, his co-op without a mask but he gets to play with other kids. He has teachers that came from Waldorf that are teaching that education style where they're learning music, they're learning, you know, spatial awareness through song and actually being out in nature. And they're not having to do that on a screen, you know, and I really feel for parents that 
that are in that position right now, but there is a doorway through that. You know, don't think, especially if your kids are young, like if you're finishing high school, like whatever, grind it out. But if you, if you have, you know, all of their school left, like really put some thought into that and, and see who's in your area that is thinking along the same way, you know, because that's where we can start to bridge the gap. And a lot of these things come back to not just, uh, you know, decentralizing central power, but recentralizing local power, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's got to come in through all systems. You know, it can't just be like this one, one uh, education system being broadcast around nationally that every kid tunes into. That's not going to work. Yeah, I think know? I think you have. A, I mean, both of us maybe, but certainly this ability to be conscious of what you do is something we take for granted. And I think all that that most humans are there, right? Most humans just aren't able to be conscious of decision making. They're not able to be conscious of changing and challenging paradigms. And um, so you know, I'm sure people listening to your your podcast are going to be of the realm of more highly conscious, but most parents just like, I just don't want to deal with my kid. Like let them go to school, go in the conventional system. And, and for me, I'm so anti-box. Like if it fits in a box, I don't want it. That's my mentality with the kids. And I just want to get them the hell as far away from conventional schooling as possible. Cause it's just, it, it did nothing for me. Like I, I literally don't think I learned a fucking thing when all the way through university. I'm like, this is bullshit. I got enough. I did well enough to pass and never more. And I hated it. Didn't want to be there. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I started becoming uh, a lifelong student. I just didn't give a shit. Like, I was like, I don't want this. Um, and now, in the last five years, my education's been exponential because I actually found what I love. And so that, to me, is what parents should strive for. It's like, man, forget about all the conventional bullshit of that. What you're told you have to become to fit into to culture. Like, you have to do your basic things, but. Let them find what their soul is, is pulled to do and they'll never work a day in their life. And that's, forget the box, right? Like the, the factory worker nine to five box is just, it's an old, it's an outdated paradigm. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's, uh, there is like a grief of that loss, you know, that, that happened in March for a lot of people and, and extended, you know, as quarantine extended. Yep. Um, but at a certain point it's, it's what do we want to reimagine? You know, Micra talked with me about that. Dr. Micra Hamilton, Dan Stickler's beautiful and amazing wife. She was like, once you reach a certain point, and, and same with implant medicines, you reach a certain point of healing where you can let the past die now. What do we want to create today yeah. going forward? You know, and that, that just gives us, there's so much more empowerment in that if we surrender to what has happened while looking at it, not just stuffing it under the rug, but like, yeah, yeah okay. This is the way it went down for me personally. This is the way it went down as a culture. This is the way it went down as a society. And here we are right now. What do we want to do with it? So how do you frame that? So, you know, we all have our story around what happens. And to me, I always acknowledge that it's just a story. You'll get this as having kids. The words you say are not always the words that they hear. And so I have two children very close in age and I say the same thing and they both hear something very different. So knowing that, looking back on my childhood, I, I know I was an asshole of a kid and I know I would have been very hard to parent. So for me to say my parents were bad parents, I'm going to say that. Like, I was probably just didn't want to hear what they had to say. Maybe there was, I was resistant to what they had to say. So my impression was, well, you're bad parents because you're not making me, letting me do what I want to do. So it's just a story. It's all bullshit. And, and, and the, the meaning of the event is your perception of it. So I think everyone out there should, should challenge their story. And for me, you know, you'll hear people calling about, um, forgiveness and some people call it acceptance. So personally, I, I'd, the reason I'm bringing this up, I'd like your perspective on how you did it. Is it, is it surrender? Is it acceptance? Is it, is it um, forgiveness? Cause like to me, forgiveness, 
eludes blame. It's like somebody's somebody's responsible for this. So I, I shifted away. So like I was originally taught, you have to forgive everybody. I'm like, well, no, because that means they're wrong. But I don't want to forgive them because they weren't wrong. This is just my perception. They may have been wrong. There's certainly things in life where people did bad things. But in some way, that made me stronger. And so now it's just acceptance of what is who I am and looking at the strength and looking at the darkness and looking at the all the, the range of humanness, right? All the range of human emotions and accepting what I what is and loving what is. And that's the journey I'm on now. It's like finding all those things that I would have buried under the armor of being a 320-pound bodybuilder to now um, loving all the parts, man. And it's, it's a beautiful transition, but I'm curious how you frame that in your brain as far as letting go of the yeah, past. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really important piece to look at. Forgiveness does inherently... Uh, require blame mm-hmm. and resentment, right? Uh, Paul Selig talked about this, you know, that all is over, nothing is. And talking about God or consciousness, whatever you want to name that, all is over, nothing is. And so one of the biggest splits we have is we, we can call God the thing we love. We can see God in our dog. We see God in our children, but we don't see it in the person we don't like. We don't see it in the boss that talks down to right. us. We don't see it in our wife when she's yelling at us, whatever that right. case is, but it still is. All is over, nothing is. And so one of the things he talks about with, with forgiveness is anything you damn, damns you right back, right? Through the mirroring of consciousness, that's how it works. And if yeah. I hold someone in the cave, I inherently have to be in the cave with them to right. be holding them there. So forgiveness isn't so much about what I say to someone else. It's about me taking myself with that person out of the cave. Forgiveness is for me to take the weight off of my chest. But that's just the first piece. It then must move to acceptance. Right, because it's, there is no blame and acceptance. It's just this is what happened. Am I cool with it? Yeah. Can I be okay with that? For it. Yeah. yeah, and then compassion. Right. So, like thinking along the lines of our dads, like the, the yeah. what a mind fuck for me to have a son that has just as much energy as I did, just as much energy as my dad did, and my grandfather, and doesn't listen to me at all. <laughs> like karma, me how right? I did. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, and I finally had a call with my mom, maybe like three months ago. And I was like, I remember getting disciplined a lot, but did I not, there had to be a reason for that. Now as a parent, I'm like, you only get disciplined. It's not like my dad would just kick me in the ass for no reason. Right. It always came with warning. It always came with something. <laughs> so what was I just not listening? And right. she was like, Oh honey, you never listened. Right. And I was like, never. And she's like, no, we would, we would talk to you for 20 minutes about how to ride your bike. And the second we let you go, you would peel into the street to oncoming traffic. Like you did this on more than one occasion. And I was like, wow. And I had to sit with that. And I was like, okay, okay. All right. So it's almost like a redo where now I'm my dad and I'm my son, you know, and like, you know, my son gets a second, little Kyle gets a second shot as bear and Rick gets a second shot at, you know, at at dadding. And that's how it goes. And then with that though, there's the total compassion of, Oh fuck. I know what he was fearing. I know why he works so much. Yes. I know what it's like to pay the bills or to not to, to say like, sorry, we can't afford that right now. I know all those things that he went through because I've had the opportunity to live them. Whereas I didn't before. Yep. And I think that's where the compassion piece comes in because it's it's unignorable when right. it becomes a visceral experience that you live. And then with all that, the ability to choose, right? Like, okay, boundaries are necessary. They're fucking totally necessary with kids. Like Jordan Peterson talked about that beautifully in 12, 12 steps or 12 rules for a better life. It was yeah. like, yeah, if you don't, and I, and I saw this too, there was, um, you know, grow up, growing up in the Silicon Valley, 
Indian kids, East Indian kids, and some Asian American kids, and this is speaking in generalities, but a lot of them had it very hard academically from their parents. Mm -hmm. Like very strict, like ass whoopings for an A minus. And I know because I had many friends. Our kid, our, um, we had 70% uh, Asian American in our school, which includes India, obviously. It's a part of Asia. And uh, many of my friends were, were of that descent and, and Indian. And they had it way different than I did, right? So now I'm in Sprouts in Sunnyvale as an adult with my son. And there's a lot of kids from those, those uh, you know, ethnicities who are running through the store, doing whatever the fuck they want, sticking their hands into candy bins, munching it down. Their parents are like, oh, come on, so-and-so, don't do that. And it's like, there's zero discipline, right? right? So they went the complete opposite direction. Often and again, happens. this isn't, I'm not saying this happens everywhere and that this is a thousand percent what's across the board. But I saw it enough to where I was like, oh yeah, they had it so rough that they just fucking took the- the. I don't want to be like my took parents. the training wheels off, yeah. right? They just said, okay, all is cool. And, you know, it reminds me of Kingware Magician Lover. Have you gotten into that book? No, I just bought it. It's fucking one of my favorite books ever written. Yeah, I'm going to get it this and, week. And the, so they, they talk about how these, these four quadrants of the king archetype pairs with the magician archetype, the warrior archetype pairs with the lover archetype. And all of these archetypes have a light side and a shadow side, and the shadow sides have a, a passive and an active form of the shadow. Well, on the lover side... If you're in shadow lover, the active form is one who wishes to make love with the whole of the universe. It is boundaryless form. It's uh, the Don Juan archetype who always goes out searching for the next, you know, universal feminine to, to intertwine with, but seeking that love and never really finding it. It's never good enough. It's never exquisite enough. So they continue on never seeing the beauty that's right before them, right? That's one example of that. It's the addict archetype. It's the one who says, this will be the time where I get the peak experience with ayahuasca and then finishes and says, all right, cool. I'm going to come back in a month, you know? And it's, 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 it's at that level where there is no boundary. On the flip side of that, what balances that is the warrior. It's not the light side of the lover. It's the warrior that balances that because the warrior understands boundary and it's in service of a higher ideal, right? The warrior serves the king, which is the kingdom. The, everyone's a king or a queen of their own inner kingdom, queendom. And then we have a family kingdom, queendom. We have a community kingdom, queendom. We right. have a national one, right? That just expands, self-expands infinitely outward. But at bare minimum, we have our own self-unit and we have our family unit that we are the king or queen of. Mm -hmm. And that's the higher ideal we serve based on our knowledge of what that means. Like, what do I want for my kids? If I want the most for them, that means I have to expose them to... I have to let them see enough of the outside world, right? I can't create a, uh, you know, a safety bubble like they've done at some colleges and shit like that. Right. And then they get in the real world and they're like, oh shit, people still get punched in the face for talking that way. Man, or I fight about that. I, I fight with myself get, a lot. Yeah, I can that. still get fired from a job for not, you know what I'm saying? Like you're just not protected there. Right. So like, let's not fully protect. Let's not helicopter parent. So again, th these balances, there's a million ways to take that, a whole podcast in and out of itself. But- Boundaries are super necessary and you can see what they don't have. And, and in understanding the boundaries, we come to find out a way that works for us. You know, we come to find out a way of, of ever learning. Our kids are always our teachers, but a way in which we can parent better than our parents did and still have discipline 
not too much, not too little, right. based on our own inner kingdom, whatever that higher ideal is as we yeah. see it. So how old's Bear? He's five and a half. He'll be six yeah. in May. So he's getting to the point now where um, I started talking to my son. And if I made a mistake, whether it be in my life or in my communication with him, I would just tell him. And, and, and having the confidence to do that has been a gift. And I don't think my dad would have had that. Like the the conscious awareness or the, or the confidence to say, you know what, son, I, I disciplined you on this. I made a mistake and I'm really sorry. And, um, you know, I thought you did this or I thought you did that or, or I just misunderstood. And I think I overreacted and I apologize. And so him and I have had, you know, maybe in his, he's nine and maybe in his life, uh, four conversations like that where I was like, man, I apologize. I screwed up. And like, uh, maybe I, I was overreacted on this one. And I think the ability to do that again, not that it makes it right, but it makes him understand that uh, we all make mistakes. And I think it hopefully in the future will allow him to feel confident enough to come to me and say, dad, you know, I made a mistake. I screwed up because I'm willing to be vulnerable with him and going, man, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I apologize that I said this or I apologize that I did that. And um, no one ever did that for me. Nobody ever thought it would, it would be a good idea to go and apologize for their screw ups. And I think if anything, for me anyways, it would have helped. It would have been like, oh, like, Adults make mistakes. Adults aren't perfect. They don't know everything. Like, I know my son puts me on a pedestal. So my dad's the, the, you know, he knows everything. He's, he's good at everything. And I'm like, no, no, buddy, that's not true. Um, like, so that that just a construct in his brain of thinking dad's great at everything. You know, I think every son thinks like that. But breaking that down for him to make you realize like, no, man, like I'm I'm okay at some things, but I worked really hard on the things that I worked at and that I'm good at. And I'm given that paradigm, I think, I hope will allow uh, my children to be much more emotionally um, resilient and, you know, comfortable and acknowledging their screw-ups and progressing toward, you know, what they ideally want to do or what they are capable of. Yeah, that's such a massive piece. It's it's the first agreement and the four agreements, be impeccable with your word, Yeah, right? Part of being impeccable is, is stating when you've made a mistake. You know, it's that opening and that yeah. gives them permission to do the same, right? You're giving them a gift of, being able to say like, hey, I, I, I've <laughs> thought about this and I made a mistake and it's, I'm sorry for that. Yeah. You know, and I, didn't, I didn't get much of that either. Um, but I've, I've done that with Bear. One of the things that I've told him too, which is really funny, I don't think it's landed yet, was how, you know, I had Bear when I was 33 and it was the first real impetus of, you know, the holy shit, what did I sign up for? But um, a, like a real real like gratitude for my parents and understanding, oh, they were kids when they How had old were me. they? My dad was the same age. Okay. And my mom was 20. Wow. Or she, yeah. he was, parents yeah, he was 31 and my mom was 20. And I was like, they were fucking kids Babies. when they had me. Yep. They were kids. And then I was like, I'm a kid having kids, mm -hmm. you know? And there's no three generations here. You know, this is like the grandparents yeah. are around. It's not, you know, there's no aunties and uncles around. Like, it's just, it's all on us. Our kids raising kids. Yeah. You know, and I, I've told them that, like, you're, you will come to understand that no matter how long you wait, and hopefully you wait a long time, that you will have some prerequisites met and you'll have far more that have not been met. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of gaping holes there's where no you don't, under, man. Yeah, you don't understand no it until you're there. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was a big one for I, me. Yeah, I was 30 when I had my son, my, my son and my 31 when I had my daughter, but my kid, my parents were 22 when they had me. Couldn't imagine what the hell it would be like to have two children at 22. I'm like, I, I, so looking back at it, how do you blame them? Like my mother was an alcoholic. She spent her nights at the bar. I'm like, like same thing I did in my 20s, right? It, like I get it. She's like, oh, grandparents take care of them. We're good. So, but as a kid, you're like, oh, my parents didn't love me. They abandoned me. They weren't there for me, but they're out there working their ass off and they're living their life. 
So, man, I wish somebody had given me context and perspective when I was a kid. I don't know that I would have been able to have the, the awareness to, to take it in, but it would have been nice to at least have a conversation with somebody about, hey, like the reason I'm doing this is because I'm out there trying to make money so we can have what we you need or we, you know, we can play the sports and you can be whatever. And the reason I'm out there drinking is because to be honest, I just, well, I'm kind of lonely and I want to have some fun. Like, yeah. Life's fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a way for me yeah. to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, any parent out there, like, I think maybe that's the lesson, right? It's like, hey, uh, invest in, in those five to 10 minute conversations. And for me, it's often just like, when you know my kids uh, have to wake up at certain times in the morning, like instead of going in there and you know, turning the lights on and waking them up, I'll lay with them. I'll just like lay down and you know make sure they know that they're loved and make sure they know that um, you know, I'm waking them up in the softest way possible. And spending those five or ten minutes in bed before they have to get up and start their day lets them know they're loved and accepted. And, and that kind of stuff, as much as it's it's time, which we all you know value, uh, that's what sets the the relationship right the dynamic that lets them know they're accepted and loved and allows you to open the door to those those more difficult conversations of rather than being adversarial when those conversations come up or being you know someone coming at it with some type of hurt emotion you're just bringing just just unconditional love yeah yeah that's a big one there was a there's a kid's book i think it's called the last 20 minutes or the final 20 minutes it's about the final 20 minutes of the day and for for you know, any parents that have kids that are just nonstop energy, don't listen, want to do their thing and go balls to me. I'll take Bear to jujitsu and we get home and it's like, that was the warm up. You yeah, know, totally. just <laughs> like, oh God. Um, but with that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you've had Joe Dispenza on your podcast. Yep. Um, the most important times you can meditate are right in the morning and right before bed, because yeah. those are the twilight hours when you're, you're already dipping into alpha and theta and, it's just easier to access, yeah. you know, than middle of the day or right after you've had a giant thing of coffee. And same is true for our kids. So when we lay down, we'll listen to Harry Potter or something on Audible and and then we'll turn it off and just talk. And like, that's, he's so receptive there. And some of these conversations where I've apologized have been there and it just lands in a way that it won't land when we're in the car or doing something totally. else, you know? Yeah, just like it wouldn't land for us, right? If you're yeah. in the middle of doing something else that you're you know busy with. You have a conversation with somebody like, I don't know what the hell we talked about. It didn't land with me, right? Same thing. You have to prepare the brain. You have to prepare the mind. And including when they're doing something bad and they're stressed out that they screwed something up. Like They're not going to take the lesson at that point, right? Yeah. That's why I think those conversations, you know, whenever you curate the time is, uh, is an important thing to be aware of. All right. I want to backtrack. We got, we got, uh, we got 10, 10 minutes here. I got a couple questions that I want to, I want to give to you that have been on my mind. How has your training changed? since moving away from competing at that level because yeah. it's something I've looked at personally and I've got all these old freaking weird injuries and my body's twisted up and it's yeah. like I just I still love training but it's like I can't get away with the yeah. way I used to know how to train <laughs> yeah um so retired in 2016 and for 18 months after retiring I basically trained so it wasn't it was actually 2017 when I stopped training but I basically trained once a week and I did a bunch of yoga I did yoga every day I started doing some microdosing of LSD and that was this where this this uh, journey began. The spiritual journey really started to go deep. Um, so very very little for a while, and I lost about seventy pounds during that time. I went from about three three ten three twenty to about two fifty or less. Um, and then I had a, a pro bodybuilder move into town. He he hired me to train him for the Olympia, and so I started went back to training five days a week, and you know put on thirty pounds in three weeks, quick. Um, and so that was brought me to the end of two thousand eighteen. Um, and now, since that, I'm I'm very much removed from any likelihood of any going going anywhere near the fitness space. Like I'm still in the fitness space, but it's not going to be competitive anymore. Like there's no more intention in my mind to 
no no more attachment to looking a particular way. I don't have to look like I'm a bodybuilder all the time walking around. I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. But speaking about how I'm training, it's this it's this dynamic relationship between um, you know we'll call strength training. For me, it's just about I want to maintain certain standards of strength and you know certain lifts, and then it's it's so I'll do that one day, and it can be quote unquote strength slash hypertrophy training, and another day it'll be. Um, yoga and aerobic training. And it's this dynamic balance between these two based on how I feel and how it looks. So if I feel like I'm getting tired, I'll shift, or sorry, getting tight, I'll shift more to more yoga and aerobic training. And that body composition is, is built in there too. And if I'm if I'm not maintaining my strength standards, I'll just go back to this strength training. And it's just, you know, how many times a week am I doing it? It changes based on how close am I? How do I feel? How does my body feel? How do I look? What's my schedule? Um, but it's definitely nothing like it would have been in the past. Like I was, I was obsessed when I like, you know, beyond obsessed at times when I was training in my career. So, which is why uh, I'm an on or off kind of guy. Like when I'm in, I'm in and like, there's nothing else in the world. And now it's just like, okay, I don't want to go back there. Like uh, at times I was almost trying to forget that was part of me and I've moved on from that. Like I, I accept and I love that part of me. It was funny. When I retired, I put all my pictures away, man. I put them in the club, put them in the drawer. It's like, take them off. Like even my pictures <laughs> of my kids, it's like take them off, put them away. I tried to hide that part of my life for a while. I was like, I don't want to, do, I don't want to be this anymore. I want to, I want to be able to remove myself. And I guess that was part of it, part of the journey. But now I'm, I'm bringing it all back out and, and acknowledging and loving that part of my life. Um, but yeah, so training now is, is, you know, let's say minimum three times a week, ideally four, uh, not high amounts of volume because I do put on muscle so fast. And now I didn't always, but now that you, your body's been there, it wants to go back. So it's um, trying to get myself down slowly in a healthy way. Um, you know, so I'm still about 250 right now. I'd probably like to get down to 230 and just kind of hang out there, be super lean all the time. And I'll do that this year. So it's my 40th birthday this year, man. Uh, next month, actually. Hell yeah. Congrats, yeah, yeah. brother. Thanks, man. So get in the best shape of my life at 40 and and stay there, hang around 230 and get the next 10 years all planned out. And I'm excited to to in, in part, embark on a new uh, journey in my life, a new phase of my life. I like that, that uh, your, you know, teeter-totter, if you will, of going back and forth from the strength training to the yoga aerobics based on feel, look, and goals uh, is something that reminded me. I was on um, psilocybin at one point looking at bamboo, and it reminded me of Bruce Lee, Be Like Water, but this this mm-hmm. medicine of the bamboo, you know, winds were picking up, and it was folding over at 90 degrees wow. and just springing back up. Yeah. And I was Adaptable. like, damn, it is so strong and yeah. so flexible. You know, they talk it. about the willow versus the oak, but the bamboo has it all. Yep. It's incredibly strong, incredibly flexible, incredibly durable. And I've really been wanting to embody that more. Um, it's cool. This, year's been, this been, year's been a very uh, departure from yoga for me because all the yoga studios were, were closed. I had this amazing yoga guru who was teaching me and he was he's an older guy. He's in his late 60s, but he was just unbelievably uh, transformative for me. And unfortunately, he's really sick. So uh, I, uh, I guess there's something energetically there for me. Like, because I couldn't go to him, I just almost felt like I didn't want to go to someone else. So my yoga this year has been literally like, I don't know, maybe done 10 times all year. But so in 2020, so this year, I'm going to get back into it and get back to my four or five days a week. It's just I mean, the greatest. I love the connection of mind-body and that and, that and, and getting into this, this flexibility uh, that I think we're all designed to embody, whether or not people try to acknowledge it or not or admit it or not. I think... Humans are meant to be mobile, agile, you know, strong, fast. I think ancestrally, like what would we have been, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that it's, it's to unlock that tuning fork. That's why I you love know? your setup here, man. It's like, it, it's getting away from conventional chairs. I don't even see a chair anywhere. It's like you were sitting on the floor, your bedroom on the floor. Like that's, that's a good idea. I love that idea. And 
um, you know, there's a, there's a lady, I forget her name, she's on the podcast, who uh, curates her uh, home away from convenience, right? Typical homes are built for convenience. She goes, well, if something is conveniently placed here, where can I put it so it's not convenient? So I have to build additional work into my home. I was like, it's brilliant. Including, you know, the, the dinner table on the floor and the, you know, the couches on the floor. And like, or like, that isn't a floor. It's, it's like a mattress, right? That, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we got a, we got a, we got that downstairs. I'll show you afterwards. Same deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's, Good, like, yeah. it's like a Japanese coffee table. Yeah, with little yoga cushions to sit on. Uh, Mark Bell didn't did not appreciate that one bit, but it's <laughs> <laughs> a little stiff. Yeah, well, so be, in be like culture, bamboo. Yeah, we get we get used to our our comforts, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm the opposite. Like I, I think I alluded to this fact. Like when I when I see something I'm bad at, like I, I go for it full strength, and that's I think what most of us should. I mean, not to put my beliefs on somebody else, but and. Comfort is not your friend. It's just not. Yeah. Know? Yeah. One way or another, life will serve you the challenge. So you can either say yes to it up front right. or on the back choose end. Choose it or it'll choose yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Well, one last question I want to I want to leave us with is, it's 2021. We went through, you know, in all regards, like one of the most challenging, mind-bending years ever, no matter where you are on the side of the spectrum politically or where you are on the side of spectrum medically or any of these things. Um, lots of fear, lots of changes. What are you tracking right now in terms of, you know, the people you're learning from, the things that you want to do and where you're headed in life? Yeah. Um, I have this amazing passion for business and marketing. And so I've been, I've been diving a lot into that, which is, you know, it's almost feels like I love marketing and business more than I love fitness. Um, and I, so a lot of my learning over the last couple of years has really been diving into that. And I just see it as a game. I see it as like a big puzzle piece you got to put together. Like, and like, can you think like a chess master and think four or five steps ahead of like how this is all going to un- unravel? So I've been spending a lot of time with that and trying to find the best, um, best teachers, the best coaches in the world and work with them. And it, I don't know that it's like, I have no um, strong desire to be incredibly wealthy. Like I, I'd like to make a lot of money, but only so I can give it back and only so I could do cooler things to help more people. So like, you know, my, my belief is I'll do, very well in business, but what will I do with that money? Am I going to have a nicer car or a nicer clothes? No, I'm not going to have any of that shit. Like, I don't give a shit about that. I'll probably ride a bike and wear sandals, right? Like, okay. but I, what do I want to do with it? Well, I want to be able to, to make an impact. And again, maybe that's an ego drive in itself. Um, but I just love the idea. I mean, I, I have, um, you know, as far as what you would judge me as seeing me, you know, this big muscle bound meathead, my my empathy is probably my greatest skill. My my ability to feel is, um, I think, my greatest asset. So when I feel somebody in pain, I want to help. And again, that's not always a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse. But um, so I want to put myself into a position now financially where when something is uh, significant enough to me, it means something to me. I want to be able to help. So that's that's what my next ten years looks like, or at least the next five years is like building something of significance. And it's certainly now it's consulting with the companies, it's helping other companies build their businesses. And eventually it's, it's built, I mean, at the same time, concurrently building mine as well. Beautiful brother. Well, you, uh, you got a new title of the podcast, at least, at least three years ago, a new title of the podcast. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Muscle intelligence podcast. It was originally muscle experts. So it was so uh, muscle centric. Now, as you know, if it's it's much more uh, going down this internal journey, you know, and I, I play all the time with the idea of changing the name because the, the name is kind of uh, restrictive, but I just interview amazing guests. And I guess the context of the podcast is living your greatest life in a body you love. 
And I think that does a pretty good job of summing up what it is. It's like, you know, we're going to help you overcome all of the stuff, not just the physical. The physical is a big part of it, but it's like, well, there's the mental and there's the spiritual and there's the relational. And then I don't get into finances all that much, although I do talk about business and marketing quite a bit and parenting is on there. And so it's just, um, what does your greatest life look like for you? And giving all the tools you need for that and, and supporting it along the lines of um, uh, ultimately, you know, what does it look like to to help with the mental challenges we all have. And I have some great experts as you do. Um, so yeah, it's Muscle like Muscle Intelligence Podcast. MuscleIntelligence.com would be a good place to find it. Beautiful, brother. Thanks, it's been bro. awesome it's having great. you. Absolutely great to connect again, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much, brother.